Episode 6, EB-5 Superhero, Jay Mehta, Director at FRR Immigration Services. You're listening to the EB-5 Superheroes podcast. Join host Matt Trash as he interviews the EB-5 industry's courageous men and women, leaders protecting the path to the American dream for the good guys and foiling the sinister plots of the not-so-good guys. Billions of dollars and families' lives are at stake. Go behind the scenes as our EB-5 superheroes tell their stories of triumph against adversity, paving a brighter future for EB-5. And now, financial engineer, industry expert, and EB-5 superhero, Matt Trush. Welcome to the EB-5 Superheroes podcast. I'm Matt Trush, your host. For those of us living in the EB-5 world, we've grown thick skin and learned to buckle up tight for the roller coaster ride we lovingly call EB-5. EB-5 is an incredible federal program that has brought tens of billions of dollars to the U.S. economy, created hundreds of thousands of new jobs, and helped countless families legally immigrate to the U.S. But it's been a bumpy ride, to say the least. There have been cases of fraud, swinging pendulums of regulatory uncertainty, unnecessarily long processing times, program sunsets, and even twilight. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. EB-5 can once again become the best and fastest and most stable letter combinations in the alphabet of U.S. immigration paths. EB-5 can regain its highly competitive position versus other countries' immigration investment programs. EB-5 is poised to navigate America out of another economic downturn. Now is the time, more than ever, for the good guys and good gals to make the dream a reality again for those who believe in EB-5 and the American dream. Meet the EB-5 superheroes who are on the front lines of making positive change, the courageous leaders who are shaping the course of EB-5 for good and triumphing against adversity. Get the inside scoop, hear their stories, learn from real-life successes and failures. Billions of dollars in families' lives are at stake. Join me in welcoming EB-5 superhero Jay Mehta, director at FRR Immigration Services. EB5 superhero, Jay Mehta, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. It's a wonderful gesture on your part for inviting me on this wonderful podcast. So thank you again. Jay, EB5 superheroes are industry leaders like yourself who are out protecting the path to the American dream for the good guys and foiling the sinister plots of the not so good guys. Jay, you and your firm are known to be the top, top, top EB5 broker dealer in India. Just to brag about FRR shares and FRR immigration services in your history of firsts, FRR was the first broker dealer to get approval from SEBI to do EB-5 business in India. FRR was the first Indian broker-dealer to become a member of IIUSA. FRR was the first to get I-526 approval in 88 days. FRR was the first to open an EB-5 desk in Singapore. FRR's list of awards and honors and firsts go on and on. But FRR shares name implies securities and trading. We all know FRR is financial services corporate, engaged in foreign exchange, money changing, stock broking, interbank foreign exchange broking, currency derivatives, depository services. So if that's how your firm was making its bread and butter... How did you get into the investment-based world immigration business in the first place, specifically EB-5, and then rise to become the market leader? Tell us a little bit about the evolution of FRR shares to FRR immigration services and how that'll happen. Sure. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for all the wonderful research and the wonderful kind words that you have bestowed upon FRR and our team. So just to answer your question there, Matt, you know, traditionally, we've always been a financial services and corporate here in India. We started our journey in 1983, where we were brokers between banks for their currency swap business. 
business. As you rightly said, we also do the foreign exchange as well as the equity brokering business. You know, we stumbled upon immigration through one of our friends in the US, a friend slash attorney in the US who advised us or who showed us the light that, you know, this is a value added service that we could provide to our high net worth and ultra high net worth clientele that we already had in our equity brokerage house and our foreign exchange house. And just applying two and two together, we spread the word out in our clientele, our family and friends, mainly asking people, are your kids studying abroad? What's the plan? Are they going to go for, you know, the the cumbersome H1B or uh, do you want to provide them with a platform? For at that time, the amount was 500,000. Surprisingly, in 2016, we were still operating under FRR shares. Surprisingly, two guys put their hands up and were like, you know what, we're interested. And uh, that's what started it for us, Matt. We started with those two applications in 2016. We saw great growth all throughout the years. And since we saw this growth, we thought of coining FRR immigration as a business so that we could give the immigration by investment industry a more dedicated business or a dedicated company to go by. That's how the evolution of FRR immigration started in 2017. That's when we really coined the company. All the while the experience and all the learning we did was all when we were with FRR shells. We are now, we have 74 colleagues of ours or FRRites that we call them that work under all of these businesses. We have eight dedicated people towards the immigration side of the business uh, now and all eight have been experienced in the US. They've attended all the conferences. They've met with the people in the US to learn more about the program. That's that's the steps that we've taken to evolutionize FR immigration to be an industry leader, as you as you rightly said. Jay, you and your father, Janak, you're really EB-5 superheroes making EB-5 happen in India. Tell us more about yourself, Jay. You're an industry pioneer and relatively young compared to the rest of us. So how is it that you've built such an EB-5 empire in India? So honestly, I think we started off in 2016 purely from a hunch that this could be a good thing in the market. In fact, Matt, if I take you take you back a little further to 2013, that's when we had actually heard about the program. And honestly, at that time, we thought it was, for lack of a better word, kind of a scam. Because you pay so much money and you got to stand in line for a visa. That just didn't gel well with us, you know? Mm-hmm. But when the word started spreading out in 2015 and 2016 in India, we thought, wait, maybe this is actually a legit program. And it actually makes sense. And that's when we did further research into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we found that, okay, it does actually make sense. And we could possibly show this to our family and friends and our and our high net worth clientele. So that's how those two applications happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we were quick enough, if I may say, we were quick enough to react to how the market reacted to the industry. We were quick enough to be a little aggressive in terms of our marketing efforts across all our platforms in our existing business. And that led us from two applications in 2016 to 17 applications in 2017. That was a massive jump. Also, what helped is the wave. You know, Matt, I'm sure you know, 2017, 2018, and 2019, there was a wave of EB-5 all across India. People were really eager to do it. What helped as well was those short-term extensions, which threatened people that, you know, if you don't do it by an X now X date, you're going to miss the bus. Right. So I think all of that came together. And that's what kind of drove us up to a track record today 
day of 77 applications. Wow, fantastic. You know, you and I used to see each other on almost a monthly basis at the Trident Hotel. Right. Walk away from your office there. And, you know, you've been through the heyday of EB-5 in India. Then there was Indian retrogression when that kind of hit a brick wall. And then there was a race to get in investors before November 2019. And then COVID hit. And now the sunset of the regional center program. So where is India EB-5 today? You know, Matt, it's a great question. It's tough. There are a lot of people that are waiting uh, to file an EB-5. However, there's always this uncertainty, right? The entire program, you know, from the amounts of 900,000 coming back down to 500,000 and then the impact of the lawsuit or rather the impact of the reauthorization or the pending reauthorization of the program has just left everybody in a confused state. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't know. Actually, it's not only them, right? It's not only investors. We all don't know what's happening. Uh, (laughs) We don't know if there is a program. We don't know when there will be a program. All we know is that, you know, hopefully September 30th, the program will open up. And at that time, hopefully there will be a window for a $500,000 investment. And that's what investors are going to go for. And that's what investors want to go for. But I don't see a lot of investors moving forward now in order to take advantage of that September 30th deadline. Well, actually, that's that's the thing that they should do, right? Because source of funds, we all know, takes a while. Jay, I think it's really the perfect storm what you're describing. Right now, there's sort of a pent up demand. There's a possibility or the expectation is at the beginning of October, the program will be reinstated. And even better, there might be a small window where investors can come into the regional center program at $500,000. So all of that would actually cause a great rush while people A, can gen- enter the, the regional center program and B, be in before it goes back up to 900000 which the USCIS has indicated that they're appealing, they're hoping to make that happen. So I really think that there is sort of this growing anticipation, expectation, and pent up demand waiting for that day and that perfect storm to hit. Absolutely. And Matt, you know, we saw this, we had a little snippet of it from June 21st to June 30th. Yeah. And I think the industry was extremely busy, busier than they've ever been, which only shows you what the pent up demand is like at 500,000. Right. So it's really fantastic. And I really describe EB-5 as this roller coaster. You know, there's ups and there's downs and, you know, you don't know whether to hold on or put your hands up in, you know, uh, in elation or or expectation or fear, right? So, but really the current situation with the sunset of the program means that all of those investors who have filed their 526 are really in this limbo right now. Are you getting calls from your investors and are they scratching their head or are they anxious about what this all means? So fortunately, early on, we did get uh, a few calls, but, you know, We've been, again, sorry, I'm not trying to boast, but we've been, and I'm sure everybody has been doing this. We've been in touch with our clients who have filed applications and are, and those clients who are planning on filing applications. We've been in touch with them throughout. Uh, one of the first few things we did is we organized webinars with the projects and the attorneys to calm the nerves of our clients, right? In such a scenario. Very that good. is something that is the most important thing that I think we did or the, the most helpful thing that we did. A Wonderful. lot of clients learned uh, the program as such, through these ups and downs that we've been seeing since the past 30 years, since it's a pilot program. So I think that really calmed our investors. But now I think investors are getting frustrated, right? Because it's been so long, June 30th to now we're almost close to, uh, you know, we're in September now, it's been two months. Uh, Clients are getting a little agitated because uh, what's the answer, right? Where do we go from here? What's going to happen on September 30th? Is something going to happen on September 30th? Right. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have the answers. And that that's what's going to cause an issue in our clients' minds. That's what's going to cause a doubt in our clients' minds. And that's something we need to prevent from happening. So we are in touch with industry leaders as well. We are in touch with associations that lobby in the Congress to understand what's happening. And hopefully we will have an answer soon. Right. You 
you're on the investment-based world immigration businesses. And EB-5, the U.S. immigration program, is just one of many world immigration programs. How does EB-5 compare to the others? And are people ready to jump ship and go to the other countries now? Or they really still have their sights set at the American dream? So, you know, Matt, it's a combination, really. And what we decided to do is, this is the way we tell our investors who are toying between the idea of what to do and where to go. We've kind of dissected the world into three different requirements or needs of our clients. In India, a lot of students go to the US to study, right? When you ask a kid today, where do you wish to study? They all say the US is their first option. 90% of them are like, you know, US is my first option. Right. So from that, we derive that for the kids, we brought about the EB-5 program or the, the Canada Federal Express Entry or the Startup Visa Program if the parents want to be with the kids when they go to, go to school in Canada. So that's why we, we came with North America there. The second need or want really arose from those that wanted to live a better lifestyle, a higher lifestyle, a better standard of living, and those that could afford it and did not want the tax burden that a green card or the US passport gives them. Right. That's where we came up with the UK or the European Union. And the final and the third need or want really is for those guys that, you know what, they just want a backup option. They're not really looking and leaving India anytime soon, but they would like a passport of another country or some kind of a residency of another country where they could pick up their bags one night and just go. And that's where we came up with Grenada, which is one of the Caribbean islands, as an option for their passport program. Grenada as well as Turkey. Because those passports are stronger than the Indian passport. They provide access to close to 140 plus countries worldwide. So that's where those two options came up. Also, those two options were an added benefit because they both had the E2 treaty that right. one could avail of if they did not wish to spend the 500 or the 900,000 on the EB5 program and they wish to start their own business without the headache of the direct EB5 of creating the 10 physical jobs. Right. So that's where we came up with Grenada and Turkey as an option for those guys, right? So that's really how we saw the market and how we provided solutions for those needs or wants. So Jay, that's fantastic. What you just described was three different categories of clients and needs and dreams for their future. These high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals, are they really comparing the cost of the 500, 900,000 EB-5 versus the cost of the UK route versus the cost of the Grenada route? Is the cost of the program the deciding factor on which path they choose? Not really. You see these high net worth and ultra high net worth clients first want to identify what their need is. Right. If they think their kids are going to the US to study, they're not going to look at the UK program or the Canadian program, right? right. They're going to look at the US program. Whether it's 500 or 900, we've learned a lot of people that have told us that, you know what, at 900, I'm not interested. At 500, I'm definitely interested because it's possible now. Right. At 900, it may be possible in a year or two when we revisit it. There are also some kind of clients that say, you know what, since I haven't made up my mind, since the client hasn't made up their mind, they don't mind spending the 900,000 a few months later right but it's all it all depends on each person's capacity right right so while everybody may want to do the eb5 they may not necessarily want to pay a higher amount for something that's available at a 40 percent discount currently right i mean of course supply and demand at a lower cost there's going to be a higher demand to, to fill that i guess i'm trying to say you're in a unique position to look at the eb5 program its costs and its benefits versus the other programs and does the volatility of the program have the positive negative impact does the ultimately the driver is is their their life goal 
goals or what is it that you see as somebody in India and speaking with these Indian clients, what do you think it is about the EB-5 program that is going to be a positive attractor uh, to the program versus something which might be a negative detriment to the program? A positive thing to the program is you see, Matt, today there are so many foreign nationals, right? Not just Indians that are on an H-1B that have no security in terms of a green card for the next probably 15 to 20 to 25 years. Wow. Um, And that just means that they're tied to that kind of a job that they're doing currently. Uh, The scope for them to grow may be limited as well, right? At that point, EB-5 is your only answer. Right. EB-5 is after a legal American uh, marriage, EB-5 seems to be the other quickest option to a green right. card, right? right? And correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt, but at least that's that's how, that's how we look at it. EB-5 is the, the best option and solution for the H-1Bs for sure. And, and in many, many situations and in people's family stories, EB-5 is the best solution. So I, I agree Absolutely. with you. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, students that are going from here, why put them through the rut of the H-1B at all, right? When the parents have the capacity to invest in EB-5, why go through that? And all parents want to provide a platform to their children once they graduate from school. They all want to see their kids succeed. What some parents do tell their kids that, you know what, I'm handing you your inheritance when you need it the most mm-hmm. uh, in advance, you know, and that's right. that's a great way to look at it. That's a great way to look at it. Right. The children who receive a gift or a loan from parents are what I call new millionaires, right? You have to be an accredited investor to join the program. And the requirement is you either have a million dollars of assets or two to 300,000 of income. And so all of the, the younger recipients of their parents' gifts or loans become what I call the new millionaires of the EB-5 program who have to be accredited investors. And so Absolutely. really um, their happiness can be in, immediately they've inherited this million dollars and they've put it to use in an investment in the US, which really is, is giving them a leg up in their college application process, in their job hunt and their job security going forward. Five years later, they could uh, pay that back or they could just keep it as you know part of their inheritance gift. But these are accredited investors who have received this gift or loan from the parents who are now in a position to to really build a future in the US as long as is that the path for them. Absolutely. And coming to the negative, which was one of your, one of the points in your question as well. I think, Matt, the negative is sure. really the insecurity in the industry. Um, you know, these short-term extensions, program lapsing, the amounts increasing and then coming back down. It's all causing a lot of confusion, a lot of ambiguity in, the, in our investors' minds. That, I think, is the biggest negative. And I'm sure you agree that the program needs to have a more permanent status and needs to put in some more integrity measures from your perspective, it is very important since you have the pulse of the, of the market, high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals, whether it's five or nine versus what's happening in, in the UK or Turkey or Grenada, it's not necessarily going to turn the dial. But the security of their investments, the security of the process, knowing that invest in the US because it's a secure market, it's a stable market, it's a place where you have litigious society where you know and feel comfortable that things are going to work, right? right? Especially from a lot of, you know, not India, but a lot of other countries, they really don't know what's going to happen with their assets and their, their personal property. So anybody investing in the U.S. is really, you know, investing up in terms of security. But when it's coupled with the fact that the program itself seems to give a face of insecurity and people who should be going through what is a very stable step-by-step government process that you would expect to be as predictable as one should be, as one could expect. In fact, the EB-5 program is, is kind of demonstrated the exact opposite. And so for international investors who are really seeking a better life, who are seeking stability, who are seeking investment stability and, and a better life for their children, 
some of them may have been asked themselves, well, look, I know I've got a, a rough time at home here, but America isn't looking as stable as it used to be, right? Yeah. If this is my if this is my my foot in the door, how come the door seems to be a little shaky? Yeah, absolutely. Right. right. So what do you think should be done about it? I asked this question of EP5 superheroes because you all are at the front lines of what's happening on day to day. And actually people are listening to what you think and people are changing policy based on your decisions and your your discussion about the industry. So tell us, what do you think can be done to improve the program and how should it play out? Well, I think, Matt, it's uh, pretty clear that, you know, the first and foremost, most important thing to do is the immediate extension of the program. Uh, also, I hear there's a lot of debate uh, around grandfathering those that have applied when the rules were or are valid. I think that is actually that I would trump that as the first priority that, that USCIS or, uh, you know, the industry leaders should do. And I think they are all working towards it. Right. I heard Rohit Kapuria mention that important point about grandfathering is really on everybody's mind. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it would be the most important thing to happen to EB-5. I don't think US has ever known to do anything retroactively. Sure. And that's why I hope that uh, all the investors are grandfathered under whatever rules that they had invested under. So that's, that's one of the most important things, according to me. The second is, of course, the most immediate extension of the program. I do understand uh, integrity measures takes a lot of debate and it could take time, but investors shouldn't suffer because of that, although it is needed. Whatever the program has so far worked for a long time, yes. so maybe they, they could keep taking investors in so as to not lose the opportunity for both sides, right? Uh, sure. For the US as well as for the investors while working in the back end on the integrity measures uh, um, uh, for the investors. One, grandfathering the old investors into whatever program they had they had applied under to the immediate extension of the program the amount doesn't matter right it was already decided in november 2019 people were okay with it the house the senate the president at the time was okay with it it was passed so people have bit that bullet right so the amount really doesn't matter whether it's 500 900 750 800 really doesn't matter but the program needs to exist yes yes exactly i guess i want to ask this question because you of all, all the people i've spoken with so far have brought up this point about grandfathering. And I think most people uh, understand it, but there may be some of your, your clients and, and others listening to the podcast who don't understand what grandfathering means and how important it is. So explain to me um, or explain to them what is this grandfathering concept and why is it so important? Why is it your number one? So uh, with grandfathering, you see, if a person has applied before November 2019, when the amounts were 500,000, with those TEA requirements at that time, when someone could uh, file for an application, believe it or not, or not in the heart of Manhattan at 500,000, those rules applied even after 2019, November 2019, because right. they were already, for lack of a better term, grandfathered under those, the, the rules at the time when they applied. Correct. Um, come November 2019, when the rules changed between November 2019 and June 20th, 2021, the investors that filed at 900,000, well, the, the rules known to them were 900,000 with the adjustments in the TEA uh, census tracts. So they would be, according to those, right, they shouldn't have to suffer for any rule that was made after June 21st or June 30th of, of 2021. The rules that apply should be when you apply, right? not Actually, something that comes later on. It's an interesting situation. After November 2019, everybody went up to 900. In June, when the investment amount went back down to 500, you think all those 900,000 investors wanted to get their $400,000 back? You know, we were fortunate enough to file a few applications on 900, but we didn't have our investors call 
us asking for a refund of 400,000. I think it was well understood that the rules at the time were 900,000. Right. And that's why they would have to invest at 900,000. Fortunately, we didn't have to go through that. Also, Matt, I don't think there were as many applications during that time, right? Because the rules had changed. COVID had hit us. Right. Uh, liquidity was a problem in the market. Right. So I don't think that were too many. There were too many applications. I'm sorry, I don't have the number on the top of my head, but I'm sure there weren't that many as there would have been at 500,000. For sure. We, we did see a big rush, as you said. When it dropped back down to 500, there was a big rush. So that pent-up demand was there. So in terms of India, I remember talking to you and friends in India about a year ago, not even, not even so long ago. India was really suffering having a really hard time. It was very difficult. I know for you personally and for other people in the country still is a, is a big challenge and struggle and, you know, blessings for everybody for good health. And those who need a speedy recovery, God willing, should have it soon. So I know there are a lot of people in Panama, in, in South America, even in India are saying, you know, get me out of here. I'm ready to jump ship now. There's never been a time more than I've had a greater incentive to, to go to America, even though it was hit hard, but just to leave my situation where I'm at. Do you think that COVID has been a, a driver for EB-5 and has um, given more people that wake up call that, you know, if you're going to make a, a life move now is the time to do it? Absolutely. I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head with that one. I think COVID has given, has opened people's eyes, right? For a simple example, we used to think only we could do work only if we were in the office and like us a lot of other professionals thought the same yeah but one when covid hit and lockdowns were all over the place everybody had to work from home without a choice right slowly people realized that oh working from home is actually doable and in fact maybe more productive than going to the office because you're saving so much time exactly and that's when people thought that you know what if they can work from home they can work from a home anywhere in the world yeah and if they can afford it why not go to a better place with a better standard of living and and settle down there and work from there right i think that's one of the driving factors. The second is also the way, you know, COVID was managed in each country. That also matters. The infrastructure matters. So I think India handled it pretty well with, you know, the lockdowns, the strict lockdowns and the numbers coming back down. I think every country has got second and third waves even. But today, India is doing pretty well with COVID. Uh, hopefully, we do not hear of a third wave here. People are getting vaccinated. So good things are happening. Good things are happening. All of this, the roller coaster, pent up demand, COVID and its impact. All of these are drivers to make EB-5 when it does get reinstated and when it does have some clarity in the program to really hit its its highlight of all times? Or do you think that really all of the, the uncertainty has damaged the program and there's no there's no way back? Do you have a, um, a positive outlook, a sort of neutral? Or do you think that, that in fact, we can't recover from this? So I think, Matt, honestly, COVID is a reason not only for the US. I think a lot of other programs saw a lot of growth in COVID. Because not a lot of people want to spend and go to the US and, and pay those global taxes, right? For themselves. They may want to do it for their kids because their kids are studying there. And that's been 85 to 90% of at least our market. I'm pretty sure it's been for you or for other regional centers or for other agents out there. You know, the kids are the primary reason that EB5 is done. Yes. COVID didn't change that, right? Kids are still going to go to school. They're still going to want to settle down in the US after their graduation. They're still going to want to find a job that's suitable to them and not uh, suitable to their immigration status. So uh, I think 
COVID has opened up the doors to other programs. COVID has opened up the doors to people finally making a decision that, you know what, maybe the country that they're staying in is not the best for their children. They may not want to move, but their children definitely need a more, uh, for lack of a better word, again, secure future. And that's why EB5. Right. From two investors to seven investors to 77 investors. What do you think? Two to 17 to 77. Right. Exactly. What do you think is, is for the future of FRR? What do you think the numbers will be in 2022? I think, you know, a couple of scenarios come to mind here, Matt, and it all has to do really with the amount. At 500,000, I think there is going to be a massive rush of applications. I think we would probably do within this year from September to December, probably close to 2025 applications, I think. That too, these are people that are ready to file. 2022, I believe the amount may change. So that number may take a hit again. But I think we'd still be able to do about, at least for ourselves alone, maybe 15 or so in a year. Okay. So you're saying at 500, just within the last quarter of this year, you think you'd see a spike of 25. Yep. If it stayed at 500 in 2022, which would be definitely a blessing to the industry. But on the other hand, you know, 900 wasn't wasn't the end all. But at 500, where do you think, you know, the demand would, would be in 2022? I think it would skyrocket. I think at 500,000, there would be a lot more takers. You see what happened, Matt, is at 500,000, you could approach a market that could just make it. Right. At 900,000, that market went away. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, uh, at right. 500,000, a lot of people's life savings went into EB5. At 900,000, right. the savings weren't enough. Right. So at 500,000, you open up a, another bigger market in, in whichever country that, that you know, is marketing EB5. You open a bigger market at that point. So I think at 500,000, there will always be a great demand for EB5, barring, of course, I have to put in the caveat here of the timeline. You know, right. We, uh, that's a very important point. Yes. Yeah. I don't think, at, even if the amount is 500, but people would not wait 8, 10, 15 years, unfortunately, like how China may wait today for a green card. That just wouldn't be worth the investment at that point. Jay, a practical question. I understand a couple can each take out 250 per uh, husband wife. So 500 is like a sweet number for Indian EB-5 investors. How does 900 work? Well, uh, Matt, I'm not really an expert at uh, the Foreign Exchange Management Act rules here in India, but just from our little bit of experience while doing these applications, the cleanest way is to use financial years because it's 250,000 per individual per financial year. That's right. And the financial year is April 15th. No, April 1st to March 30th. April 1st. So you could get out 500 January to March, and then you could get out another four or 500 after April 1st. That's right. And that's really the the best and the cleanest way to do it. Unless people, of course, have been shipping out money abroad since the past few years using their limits and using those those funds from there. You know, there's a lot of uh, smart investors, if I may call them, that ship out money every year to Singapore or Hong Kong or the US for further investments, they can definitely use those funds uh, to, to file an EB-5. Fantastic. Very good practical advice about how 500 or 900 could be done if it's if it's staggered between the calendar year straddling April 1st. So that's a good question. So Jay, where do we go from here? Where's India EB-5 holding? Do you expect that, that once we hear that good news on September 30th or October 1st, and if it's still at 500, there's going to be a great spike? Do you feel that that you have in your pockets or in your um, you know network of high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals investors who are ready to take advantage of this amazing program? Absolutely. I think we are all going to be really busy. We're all just waiting for the 500,000 amount to hit and so we can get back to work. Fantastic. Listen, Jay, you and your father, Janak, uh, are really the pioneers in, uh, in in the industry. FRR shares and FRR immigration. Um, you do fantastic things. Tell us more about your firm, where we can look more up about your firm and tell us about your EB5 superhero team that you've got on the ground. Sure. Uh, so, Matt, that's really it. We've been 
in the equities, foreign exchange business since about 35 years. My father, the director of our firm, along with his brother, started off uh, their careers in this business. That's how we have a, a track record of 35 years now. The immigration business, we started roughly five to six years ago, which we've grown so far and we plan to grow it further. We still keep telling ourselves we're still new in the business because there's so much to learn in EB-5 itself. We keep telling ourselves that you know we're new in the business and we need to keep experiencing things. And that's why some of the, some of the measures that we take to keep learning is we actually go and visit each and every site that our investor wishes to invest in. That's great. That's uh, some kind of limited duty, if you may call it, uh, that we do on behalf of our investors. You know, we, we think the market today at 500,000 uh, post-September 30th is just going to rocket. We all need to be prepared for it. We are preparing for it. We are getting our stakeholders prepared for it. Regional centers are preparing for it. So I think it's going to be great. Of course, if anybody wishes to reach out to us and work with us, we can be reached on our website, www.frrims.com. And you'll find our individual contact details on there as well to further uh, contact us. Our team, Matt, honestly, I don't think FRR Immigration could have survived without the support of our team. We have several offices. We have an office in Delhi, in Ahmedabad, in Mumbai, and in Bangalore. Well, we've kind of kept the Bangalore office on hold right now because of COVID and had that colleague move to Mumbai. But we really couldn't have done it without uh, the strength of our our, uh, colleagues. As I said, all of us are highly skilled and highly experienced now in AB5 and other programs. We've all been to the US and seen these projects and heard from you guys, uh, regional centers uh, um, and attorneys about the program. And we would, I think we do great in imparting that same knowledge to, to our investors and securing our investors and making them feel safe. Jay Mehta, EB5 superhero. Tell me, what is your superpower before we leave? Well, our superpower, I think, is due diligence. I think, you know, as I just mentioned, we go down to each and every site before our investor has invested in those projects. We see the people before we see the project. We have, we need to trust the people before we can introduce our investors to them. And yeah, as I said, finding the right people, visiting the site and the limited due diligence. I think that's, that's one of our superpowers. EB5 superhero, Jay Mehta. So great to talk to you today. You're doing great things. You're flying high and you're at the top, top, top of the Indian EB-5 market. We really are so honored and happy that you came here to join us today. Good luck. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm truly honored at your invitation and good luck for the podcast. Thank you. That's a wrap. Jay Mehta and other EB-5 superheroes like him are the industry's best and brightest. We're flying onward and upward to bring out the best in EB-5. Join me on the next episode to meet the next EB-5 superhero. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the EB-5 Superheroes podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the good guys and good gals who believe in EB-5 and the American dream. To access today's show notes, ask Matt a question, or suggest an EB-5 superhero to be featured on the show, visit eb5superheroes.com. 